Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the podcast that specifically chats about Watford FC, you know, the football team. My guests this afternoon are the amazing Jordan Weimer and the intellectual Tom Bodell. Gents, uh, well, yesterday Watford played out a a nil-nil with Coventry. Firstly, how was the match for you? Uh, Let's start with Jordan. I mean, the match was pretty awful, wasn't it? From start to finish, I thought we were just lacking in pretty much every department. I thought didn't hold the ball well we looked rushed and improvised and the pitch wasn't great but we just we didn't adapt to the situation at all and I thought we struggled to kind of impose ourselves really for any any period of the game at all um I'd say it's definitely up there with the worst performance of the season which is pretty frustrating coming off, coming off the back of a pretty poor one in the in the previous game so yeah I think there was a lot of issues in the pitch and it's hard to be too positive about what we saw over the 90 minutes, um, I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done. And uh, yeah, we're quite far from where we want to be at the moment. Tom? If we brought those aliens back that we talked about a few weeks ago, <laughs> you, you would have thought, and, and you tell them one of these teams has just come into the league and is you know desperately trying to keep their head above water and one of these elite teams tells all and sundry that they've got the best squad in the division and they're going to go they've got to go up and so on and so forth you'd have thought it was Colf that were you know had those aspirations and it was us that were just trying to establish ourselves in the division because and they said it in commentary and I actually thought they you know they're quite critical uh, the Sky commentators um, Daniel Mann and Don Goodman but quite you know they hit the nail on the head really in in, in their assessment of, of, of quite how poor we were and we're kind of we're getting away with it at the moment aren't we we never go on a we never go on a, a terrible run but we never go on a great run either, either in terms of performances or results and teams around us just about slip up often enough. Obviously the Friday night game with, with Swansea beating Norwich and so on. You obviously saw Bournemouth have fallen out of the picture in the last few weeks as well. So we kind of keep it there and it kind of it, it kind of papers over the cracks that we all as Watford supporters know to be ever more concerning. Uh, but I think yesterday was probably the biggest and most concerning crack in a quite a while, wasn't it? And it, you know, if we carry on the way we are, if something doesn't change, and I'm not going to go into that yet, then we haven't got a cat and hills chance of getting promoted. I think it's difficult too, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, ultimately, if you've got the better players in the pitch, there's a chance you can, there's a chance you can get points. And I think a lot of times we are coming into a situation where we have got some in, some individual talent that can that can produce things and it does sometimes get you over the line. There have been games where we've got a way of performing for you know short, small portions, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, a half if we're lucky. And that's sometimes enough because we do, we can overwhelm opposition with some of the talent we have on the pitch. But I think the problem is that does give you that feeling of discontent with the team because they, they're not producing the performance you know they're capable of and you're not seeing a complete performance it's always just flashes that get you the overall result which doesn't feel satisfying it doesn't feel like you're making any real progress um, and yeah I think it's it's a difficult one to overcome isn't it because it's kind of masking over our, our real problems to some degree because I don't think any fan that's watched every game this season feels like we're a, a, a team that should be fighting for a, a top place right now um, when, you, when you're talking about the performances as a whole um, so yeah, it's quite it's quite a difficult one to look at and, and really break down where we're going to be because it's it feels like we're in an inflated position right now as it is. 
Some analysis that I saw from you, Jordan, on Twitter uh, was that cleverly in Chalaba in a midfield two can't seem to get the ball forward enough despite doing a good job at breaking up play. Ultimately, if we can't get the ball to our strikers, then we're not going to have a hope in how's a chance of scoring. Do you think that's one of the issues that we've got at the minute? Definitely. I mean, look, if you're playing a front two, you want to, you want to get the ball to your front two. That's you're sacrificing control of the game in midfield for the benefit of having extra threat in forward positions. And sometimes that might mean you've got to be direct to get the ball to them. So you might lose a little bit of that kind of control of possession. You need to get the ball forward quickly. And I know Troy Dini drops quite deep, um, but still they're a front two. So you want to try and get the ball to them. And if you can't do that from the cent- central areas, then you're really kind of limiting your, your avenues of attack. So it's definitely a problem. Um, as I said, as I was trying to say yesterday on Twitter, I don't think either one of Cleverly or Chalaba play particularly badly. I don't have anything against them as players so much. I think Chalaba's shown some improvements and Cleverly on the whole has had quite a good season. Um, but together, they just they, they don't quite possess that ability to, to find the front two consistent enough. Um, we end up going out wide quite quickly. Um, and a lot of time that possession is coming from our fullbacks into, the, into them wide areas. And, you know, you're just losing a, a big a big pathway to, towards goal. And that's not just down to them. There's also, it's compounded by the fact that the movement from the front two has been pretty poor as well. Um, it's not that the front two aren't exactly making it easy um, for our midfielders. So if you don't have players that are comfortable of, of playing forward in difficult positions, like someone perhaps like Will Hughes would, then they're not going to be finding them enough. And, and we do suffer because I think there's one thing that's very evident when you watch us play is in this 4-4-2 as well is that we really do have that disconnect between midfield and attack and we don't really have any cohesion in those attacking areas and that for large for a large part does come down to um, our struggle of resting the ball from midfield. This game came off the back of, of Cisco Munoz telling us that he was going to make some changes and that he got it wrong against QPR so I suppose you have to ask what did he change and, and did it work Tom? Yeah, hard to know, isn't it? On the face of it, when the team news came out, I thought, well, at least we've got two out-and-out wingers playing in the out-and-out wide player roles. The full-backs are both on the correct side. Obviously, I think we all probably just about prefer Kiko at right-back than, than Jeremy Ngakia because of what he offers going forward. But that, that seemed like a good start. But it ostensibly looked like a 4-4-2. I think, in reality, it ended up being a bit more of a sort of 4-2-3-1 with Dini play you know played very very deep didn't he Dean I know we talk we talk about this a lot it seems but uh, and we know that's kind of is his his forte these days and I think he's you know he is as we've said quite good at it but I think yeah at times it was probably more 4-2-3-1 with Dini dropping off and and trying to you know act as a bit of a conduit between the the midfield and attack but I don't think it really worked and you know I I was going to say just in sort of a continuation of Jordan's point earlier um, you know, I'm sure people will have given him and, and Gray grief again for, you know, failing to really have any threatened, to be quite honest. Uh, but kind of the lack of service to the wingers or the, and the lack of service to Deeney and Gray just made it so hard for anyone to, you know, we didn't carve out any clear-cut chances, I don't think. We had one decent chance late on with Joao Pedro, but... Um, all in all, it was you know it was it was same old same old, wasn't it? And and that's the frustrating thing. We were we were sort of promised changes, but there was nothing particularly different to normal. So I should be interested to see what happens now for the Bristol City game. Is is he going to kind of chuck it all out and, and start again? I'd I'd be very very surprised. Although I they know I noticed in commentary they said that Watford had been working on a three five two in the week in training. So I guess that's you know not dissimilar to what we were playing before, was it, under Vladimir Ivic? So maybe go back to that, but who knows? What change did you see, Jordan? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Troy Dini dropping a bit deeper is, is one. He does play deep uh, anyway, but he was popping up in some some weird areas. He was often quite wide. There's a few times where he was putting, putting balls into the box and it didn't really work. I mean, if, if you're coming out wide and you're putting balls into the box, you're taking a striker out of the box to put crosses into the box, which is kind of counterintuitive as it is, um, especially when you're playing against a team that's got a back three that's pretty comfortable defending that. Um, I, I didn't see... I didn't see much change. We had the two wingers, which made a bit of a difference. We weren't quite that kind of lopsided 
predominantly down the right-hand side kind of focused team. We did have that outlet on the left, but I thought it was unfortunate it coincided with Ken Semmer's probably his worst game he's had for us this season, um, which isn't just his fault, um, but it, it definitely definitely was. He was less effective than we'd, we've seen him be before. Um, yeah, I just don't think we did much again to really work against what Coventry were trying to do. Uh, I think it's a problem we've seen is not really um, not really accommodating how we play for the opposition. We we're too reactive in the moment. It doesn't we don't look prepared. Um, we don't look like we're going in there with a plan of how to how to play against a team that's got a setup that we should be aware of. Um, so I don't think we did enough to change. And as Tom said, there was talk of us uh, working on a different system in training, but we didn't see any of it. I'm not sure exactly. Why that is, if if he doesn't feel the players are ready, then that's fine, I guess. But you should feel that they should be relatively comfortable in that system. And as we've, from what we've seen so far, there's nothing to suggest that they're really being asked to do anything too complex um, within the current system. So you'd think a shift would be mainly just down to positions and, and change of shape rather than specific instructions that kind of make it hard to translate and get across in the space of a week but I guess that remains to be seen it's, it's a week now that he's got to work on that if he's looking to do so um, but yeah I thought we, we we lacked any real change um, enough to see any any difference in the previous game or, or improvement at least There's been a, a, a fair bit of backlash to, to the game yesterday and also from QPR as well to be fair and you know we were kind of almost wondering whether Cisco would still be in a job today, as as things stand, he is. So it, uh, it, it feels as though uh, the club are prepared to give him more time. But has the has the fans' patience run out? Or, or you know, I mean, it feels it feels early, but at the same time, the, you know, the definition of, of madness is, is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So where where do we where do we stand at the minute? Do you think that um, you know, he, he should be allowed to, to continue, or or he shouldn't be allowed to continue? What's you know what's what's the current state of play at the minute, guys? If it's a, you know the definition of madness doing the same thing over again and expecting different results, it works both ways. You can say that you can yeah. use that for sacking you know Shishko or continuing with a manager that's uh, that's struggling to get results. So it's kind of that's the situation. I think that's what is too. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say the camps are split at all. Actually, I think from what I've seen, the fan reaction has been almost almost unanimously. Just go out, but I think there is an argument for not doing that. But uh, I'm interested to hear what you're going to say, Tom. I think I think to address Matt's point directly, people, yeah, people are frustrated, people are fed up, and I almost, I almost don't think it's uh, entirely falling on on Chisco in the sense of I think it's a general frustration at the club over the you know the, the decisions that led us to relegate or. The decisions, I think you can basically track this from post-FA Cup final, can't you? Possibly even sooner than that at this moment. But the decisions in that time frame that have led us to this point, you know, the changes of head coach last season, the appointments of head coach last season, the changes or lack of, probably more to the point, this season, uh, you know, the just stupid things even, like the repeated kind of, even Rob Elliott was at it. I think it was Rob Elliott. I'm sure it was, it was one of the new boys, Rob Elliott or Dan Goslin. It obviously been given the club hymn sheet and was singing off it like a canary after signing. You go, got the best squad in the division. Geezer had only been here five minutes and he's talking about the best squad in the division. You just think, oh my God, we're not buying this crap anymore, you know? And that, I think, is the point, isn't it? People are just fed up. I think, you know, as the head coach and because he has not been able to come in and sort of radically change things for the better overnight. That Norwich win, obviously, on Boxing Day aside, uh, it's it's Chisco that bears the brunt of it. And that is probably a little bit unfair and a little bit unfortunate. Mm. And as I said yesterday on Twitter, last night on Twitter, I, I hate being someone that, uh, you know, asks for a coach to be removed. But unless something drastic changes in the net, he's had eight games now and unless something drastic changes which I just can't see it happening the window is closed I just think the pattern for our season is so set out now uh, unless something drastic changes in another eight games I just don't think we're going to be any better off we'll probably win two, three, four of those and we'll probably uh, lose or draw the rest and we'll be sort of there or thereabouts but you know a bit like uh, a bit like Bournemouth sacking Jason Tindall in the week to the outside world, people will be like, "What, really?" But those you know, match watching rather than match going these days, uh, supporters know from watching their team week in week out forensically that the problems run deep and the problems run deep here. So, 
to be honest, as Jordan has rightly picked up on the, the definition of insanity there, changing coach again, is it going to change anything if they've still got to work with this group of players? Probably not, to be fair, but I, I find it hard to believe that a nice, likeable guy, though he appears to be, just go, I just don't think we've seen enough from him tactically to suggest that he is going to alter things here between now and the end of the season. There are still enough points to play for that somebody else might be able to come in and do that. But it's almost at this stage a bit like last season and the kind of, you know, the the shock factor of getting rid of Nigel Pearson and appointing a different voice for two games. Obviously a longer, far longer period of the season remaining, but it, it does already feel like that, doesn't it? And I just think we know, we, unless something changes, we know he's not going to see out the season. So just get it done now. No one can really, you know, produce miracles straight away. Anyone that would come in would require a period of time to try and put their style on it and, and, and change the players' mentalities and change the formation or, or do whatever they need to do to, to get the, the team working in the way that they want. And hopefully that would be a way that would be uh, productive. But it's 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 a fact that in the past, pl- at plenty of different clubs and in and different businesses and all sorts of things, people have been appointed by mistake as well. Mm. Um, and this could be a case where, you know, this guy's been brought in with, you know, not a great deal of experience and maybe we've taken a punt and perhaps he's just not the right guy for the fit and maybe he could be given the entire length of the season and just not be able to turn it around because he's not the right guy for the right moment. I mean, we've seen the club um, admit their mistakes in the past. I mean, I remember Billy McKinley was appointed mm. and then, you know, sat a week later. And I think that was almost the club thinking, actually, you know what? I think we've made a mistake here. And rather than, you know, giving this guy time, etc., we already feel like we've made a mistake. We need to just cut our losses now, get him out. And, and no disrespect to William McKinley, I'm sure he's a fantastic coach and I'm sure he's got plenty, plenty of, uh, you know, of good things in his future. But maybe at the time, um, the club didn't feel that he was the right person. And at the end of the day, the club are the people that have to decide whether the coach they have is the right one for them. And if they've made a mistake, they're completely within their rights to, 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 you know, to get rid. And I would rather they do that quicker rather than later if they feel that they've made a mistake. Now, clearly in this Agreed. instance, they maybe don't feel that because they haven't taken that decision. So there obviously is something that um, that they're seeing that maybe we're not quite seeing. So I'm going to now try and move this away from negatives and cross to positives because we've been talking quite a bit about things that Zisco has done, maybe, maybe not wrong, but the, the lack of achievements he's been able to make so far. Uh, but let's talk about some things that maybe he has done, just to you know, make it a bit more balanced here, because you know I'm sure he has done some good things as well. So I'm opening the floor, guys. Uh, what, what has he done right, and and you know how can he look to move on from that and and make things better if the club are you know are deciding to stick with him? I think if you talk about what he's done right, I think he's, I mean, bringing Serialta into the team and keeping him there has been has been a plus. Um, obviously, it was enforced through injury with Foster, but I think back when coming in has been a, been, a, been a positive. But I think he, I think he, he seemed to change. It's difficult, right? He seemed to change the mentality when he came in. There seemed to be a more positive yeah. energy around the place, but it's also hard to tell how much of that is down to him and how much of that is just down to the change itself. So not so much being negative, but maybe taking some of the some of the pressure away from Shishko and looking at other areas that that maybe aren't discussed as much. I think I think there's an issue within the squad to some degree. I know there's been reports just come out today in, in the Athletic as, as mentioned about discontent amongst the amongst the players. And look, it's very tiring. I think there's an argument. I think there's an argument definitely for keeping Munash on for the rest of the season, even if it's purely to take the idea away from the squad that they can force a change. If there is that idea. I think keeping someone in and giving the opportunity because, as you say, Matt, it might be a mistake, but he might need time to adapt. Regardless, of my personal opinions are I think maybe there's some merit to the idea of keeping him on and giving him the opportunity to to right some wrongs or improve and where where we currently are, and also also take away that undermining of the coach that we have potentially from the players. So. I think he has done some things right but I think if you really want to see what he is you have to give him longer 
it just depends whether we are confident enough in his ability to do so um, but it's not been it's not been all bad for sure it's just there are some obviously issues that are compounded by lots of external factors that we're also not privy to we don't get to see everything that goes on in training we don't get to see everything that goes on behind closed doors we literally have 90 minutes a week and then we have to try and make assumptions and make judgments based of what we see on the pitch and how the players are interacting with the coach and, the, and each other and so we're picking up on these signals without having the real raw information there's there's a reason that um there's a reason that the, the board saw fit to hire him in the first place and you can debate what those reasons are but ultimately they chose him from a group of managers that would be looking at the same group of managers again if we were to get rid of him so you know it it's not necessarily a quick fix if you get rid of him and move into someone else because you've got to, got to identify someone that you do you do like and there's a good chance that you chose Shishko over them previously so I would love to it, you almost just want to have the opportunity to sit down with them and just ask a few questions it can make you feel much more convinced on your opinions I think it would help a lot but obviously we're not have the opportunity to do that we have to make our judgment calls ourselves mm. I suppose what one point you mentioned there is that obviously they'd need to look at somebody else to come in to replace this guy if he was to be you know asked to leave and and maybe they don't they don't have that set up ready yet in which case no. what would you rather do have have him in place and have him carrying on or or you know give it over to you know Omar Reza or somebody to to step in for a bit uh I mean the logic the logic says that you'd stick with him until you're ready to replace him at this moment I feel like it's still pretty close to the game that no one wants to watch that that football every week at all if it was to continue like that, it's not enjoyable. And ultimately, we are doing this for entertainment. I know it's a result-driven game, but you are doing it for level of entertainment. And that was, it's been very, very unentertaining in the last few games, especially. Um, but then at the same time, I'm not, I, I, I don't know. I think if the idea that there's a, there's a feeling that the players can overturn, that the players can change the course of the, the manager's career based on how they respond and how they act. If that is the case, I really would like that to be eradicated from the group. And at the moment, we can't do that by moving players out. We can only do it by sticking with the coach and, and showing them that that can't happen. But it comes at the expense of potentially watching a football, football you're not enjoying, which is also very frustrating. It's Look, it's a real tough situation to be in, but we put ourselves in that situation by acting as we did. I think if we were making the decision to stick with the coach and try and go that direction then I think we would have done that with Ivic personally because we weren't in a terrible position we weren't in the worst position in terms of how we were performing in the league um, and we saw fit to change so that would be the biggest indicator to me that we'd do the same again this time Do you think that we're in any different position now under Zisco than we would have been had we continued with Ivic? It's, it's very difficult to get an understanding of what football you're going to see because there was such a small sample size and that the standard was very difficult to what uh, very difficult to kind of judge because it was so varying in quality and, and lacking at times so it was very hard to assess what Shisko was going to be um, if we had known previously what it was going to be obviously it's impossible to but if you if we'd even known the, the football perhaps it's the style if we were going to know that it wasn't going to be too much different then I think most people would have felt better with sticking with Vladimirovich because he was doing some good things um, some of the football was bad but I think a lot of people kind of felt good about the way he conducted himself and they liked how he seemed to be dealing with uh, the squad as personalities and Personally, I, I watched a fair bit of Ivic when he, when he came to Watford and tried to look into what he was going to be. And there were lots of signs there of previous jobs that he was capable of building a cohesive attack. And if we'd have added the likes of Zink and Nagel and maybe given him that, more of that time, we might have seen that start to come together. Um, and I'd probably have more confidence in that happening than the change that actually took place in the end. So I think, I think we had that opportunity to to ride out a bad run of form and, and give the manager time. We had the opportunity and we decided it wasn't worth taking. So it's tough to see what makes us think that it's worth doing so now. Um, but that's based on the, that's based on previous from the board rather than um, personal opinions. But I think the most important question here is, do we think that Zisco has shown enough to suggest that we're going to improve under him? That, that as a coach, he's going to get better, that his players are going to get better in the formation that he's playing in because if if the answer to that is no then surely there's no point in continuing under them is it if we, if we can't see that uh that you know sort of raw kind of potential there then you know what why 
you know, what what would be the sense to continue? Tom, what what what, what do you think? Have you have you seen anything from from Cisco that that makes you think, yeah, I, I can see what he's trying to do, and I think it's working in bits, but obviously our other areas aren't, or or is it a complete? It's not working. I think he's out of his depth. I think he has to go. Yeah, the the, the Norwich game was really good. I thought, and particularly as we were coming up against you know the side top of the league. A lot more sort of positive intent uh, than than we'd seen in the weeks kind of prior, and that was a good start. But I do think there's that was you know you can write that off by saying well it was an anyone but Ivic kind of situation, you know they got a, they got a bit of a bounce playing against the league leaders. I think was it a Sky game, uh, and so on and so forth. So you can kind of you can make a, a case for why that was little to do with him, and you know. By the way, he hadn't had very long to work with them either, uh, with everything taking into account, the scheduling and what have you. Since then, I have to be honest, and you know, I don't want this to sound flippant, but no, I just, I just haven't seen what it is. If you could, if he'd made big kind of changes and to the the, the style of play, and you know, you could see in the kind of the pattern of play and what in the game plan, what they were trying to do and you thought okay I can see it it's not working for this reason or that or he was trying different things um, from one week to the next then fair enough but he does seem to have stuck rather rigidly to this 4-4-2 which uh, you know I'm not saying that I'm not saying the system is to blame so much as anything else but you know they're just the the lack of it's the, it's the easiest thing to change I suppose isn't it it's the most obvious most evident things to change to supporters, um, and and we and we've not seen that. So I am struggling to make a case for him to continue at this rate. And as I say, I hate asking, I hate kind of calling for managers. And and do I have full confidence in the the decision makers to appoint the right person? As Jordan says, you'd reasonably assume anyone that replaces uh, Chisco at this point is coming from a poll that was deemed you know second best to him in 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 the first place when he was appointed at the end of December. Um, I you know the problem the problems run the problems run beyond him. So I don't really know what the answer is. It might almost be a case of just riding out this season and seeing you know seeing what happens and letting him start afresh next year, probably in this division again. I think in terms of what the positive would be, I think what I was trying to touch on earlier is the positive is if you're going to keep him, you accept that you're probably your league position is going to be similar regardless of who you get in at this point. So you do ride it out as a way to kind of, you know, give the give the head coach, even if it changes in the summer, it gives them a little bit more, not credibility, but it, it gives them a little bit more respect amongst the players and it might help to go towards eradicating a, a potential issue with with player power and feeling that they can change things um, at a coaching level. Um, in terms of the improvements, I think what you touched on there, Tom, with the, the first game being the, the biggest positive sign, I think that's definitely, that's, that's a good point. And I think it also raises the questions um about what you see when the new manager comes in. I know the new manager bounces talks about a lot, but I do think it, it it's comparable to when Flores came back. Now, Flores and, and Munoz, there are actually some similarities, not just because they're Spanish, but the way they the way they set up their teams and you see some of the similar th- things occurring in terms of what's going on the pitch. And that first game under Flores when he returned against Arsenal was much different to what we saw for the remainder of his time there. And... I don't think that's down to the coach. I think that's down to the player's application. So that also has to be said for Ivic too. Um, I think you do have to question the player's application um, in those situations because they are capable of playing at a better level within their within their system and within the instructions they're given um, as long as they're actually applying themselves to it. Um, it was the same group of players that played in the game versus Arsenal was what played in the games, you know, in, in various games under Flores and we struggled. The same with Ivic in pre-season. We looked a lot sharper. We moved quicker. We looked more intent. Beginning of Shisko here, the same again. We looked sharper. We were moving better. We were more aggressive. And then suddenly it starts to drop off. And I'm not sure if that's because the reality of the situation kind of sets in for the players or they get maybe they get frustrated with a few things and they kind of there starts to be some trouble behind the scenes I don't know but it's not just down to the coaching because the players still have responsibility to go and play um, which 
is difficult. Um, it's difficult for them to, to do for some reason. And it's difficult for them to maintain levels that we see at the beginning of these coaches coming in, which is it's unfair on, on the coaching. And it's, it's something that has to be considered when we're addressing that because there's nothing to say that we won't bring in another coach and the same thing happens and we start to, we start to tail off as soon as there are things that aren't liked by the players or, you know, whatever. Um, and again, I think it's also about how the owners look at the squad we have and how they appoint a coach that comes in, how they actually address the situation rather than trying to just bring someone in because they think they're a good coach. Do they fit the squad we have? Do they fit what we need? And are they going to change things on the pitch? Because right now it kind of feels like they made a very sideways move, if not potentially a back one, if you look a backwards step, if you look at maybe the, the track record and the, the lack of experience that could be accounted for too. So um, do you think that, I don't know, he's on borrowed time now? It's hard to say he's not, isn't it? I mean, we, we've seen managers been, been let go in situations very similar to this. There's a level of... It's very difficult. Like I, you can, you can tell. You can tell. I almost feel like now it's hard. To, it's hard to distinguish whether it's just a feeling or if we're actually seeing it. But there's a, there's a gut feeling you get when you see our players on the pitch and you see them play in a certain way. You start to get the impression that they feel they know it's inevitable. And I got that feeling yesterday watching the game. I, I didn't feel like I just didn't feel like the application's there, and it should be. And I do personally feel like that comes from. That comes from a, a place of knowing the blame doesn't get passed to you and it's someone else's job that's on the line. That's just a feeling, but that's the feeling I have. And it, it gives me the impression that he is on borrowed time. And I think based on previous history, then it's hard to it's hard to say that he's not, whether you agree with that or not, really. What do you think his uh, report card would be so far, Tom, if you're, if you're going in as a parent and uh, you're seeing his <laughs> teachers? What are they saying to you? I think you say something along the lines of after a good start, he's he's tailed off and makes the same <laughs> makes the same kind of mistakes. There needs to be C plus a dramatic yeah that's it a dramatic upturn C plus because you know ultimately we've won four of his games in charge I think and you know there's something to be said for grinding out results even if we're not playing particularly well. It, it's certainly not been disastrous. It's not like he's come in and you know he's playing bloody Will Hughes at centre-half, Troy Deeney at right-back, and, and, and you know, we're getting pumped every week. We're not. You know, a lot of the foundations that Ivic laid remain um, remain intact, I think. that, And that's the point, I think, almost, isn't it? That he was expected to build on it. The club made a very pointed thing about how he was going to be an attacking coach. Kevin Affleck wrote a, a kind of a opinion piece after the Norwich game about, you know, how great he'd been and the the big impact he'd had already and obviously that you know is a a sort of getting the club's mess helping reinforce the club's message I suppose is the the way to 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 position that um but it's been very hard to see the attacking kind of intent that he was meant to bring and and the attacking style of football um, ever since, you know, we're not a great. It's it's out. It's very reductive. But Graham Taylor used to have a thing, didn't he, about having a. I can't remember what the figure is, but expected a certain number of shots per game, and that kind of increased your the likelihood of winning. Now, obviously, with XG and advanced metrics and what have you that we, we're able to access these days, we know, and and you know, just general kind of football moving on, we know that you know that's not necessarily true. Ten shots from thirty yards. Are, are less likely to go in than, than five shots from six yards, say. But th- there is something in it, isn't there, that if you're not shooting and you're not hitting the target, you're definitely not scoring. And mm-hmm. and almost all these games, I'm struggling to remember the goalkeeper, the opposing goalkeeper working very hard at all. This is something that we've, we, I think we've really struggled to overcome for a while. So over over our recent history... We've continually uh, since since promotion, we've struggled to we struggled to actually be productive in front of the goal. And when, when I say that, I mean we struggled to meet our expected goals a lot of the time. This season, we're we've got one of the biggest differentials negative. So we've created chances we should have scored goals and not scored them, and that's something that's been. It's been pretty consistent for us over the last few years. We haven't been a potent goal scoring team, especially when it comes to our forwards. Now, that's. 
that's a situation that is very dangerous to instill a defensive coach who relies on getting victories based on scoring a few opportunities. Same with Flores, you sit back, you have a few opportunities a game and if you get a result, it's going to be one one nil, and it's going to come from having one of your opportunities converted. When you've got a low conversion rate, it's a pretty big risk and it generally doesn't work out to be that productive. We've seen that with defensive coaches. With Ivic, he suffered the same problem. We weren't making great quantity of chances but we were making chances that should have been scored um, but we don't have the finishes to do the finishes to do so so again it's not working we saw a bit our best success in recent history under Javi Gracia who who he used a system which was the opposite of that his was all about creating chances and sometimes it you know it meant you're going to concede goals and it stretched that defense and we had to overcompensate um, with our midfield we had two very good centre midfielders and athletic and able to get back and smart defensively and intercept the ball like Kapu could and he kind of he compensated for that risk you, you had going forwards but putting them numbers forwards and having that freedom up front we still we still didn't have a we still didn't have the best record in terms of converting those goals but we created so many chances a game it gave us the opportunity to score goals and we spread them goals across multiple positions it wasn't just relying on our strikers and now we come back to a situation where we are relying on a few players to take a, to put away a few chances and it's not going to work for us and i don't see it working for us with this current group of players cuz i don't believe that striking group is efficient enough to do so so i think <laughs> When we make a change, you'd hope that we were addressing that in itself. But instead, we've gone to a situation again now where we're getting a few chances a game. They're not always the clearest cut chances. And we don't really have that group of players that's going to that's gonna finish them consistently enough for us to come away with one nils and two nils or even three nils. OK, then um, let's move on. Uh, so in the week, uh, the club came out with a an Andre Gray special. Uh, it was an interview with, uh, with Richard Walker, actually, the club's media manager taking over interview duties from Kevin Affleck or John Marks, who have often do it. And uh, it was quite a different interview style, wasn't it? I think it was I think it was meant to be a chance for Gray to, I don't know, maybe apologise or at least give him a chance to confront the issues that um, that he's been having this season, mainly breaking lockdown and, and also, you know, not being able to score. Do we feel as though the interview did that job? It gave him it gave him the platform to to answer those questions and do, do we think that he um he came out of it with some credit or or, or or the, or the opposite it didn't do him any favours at all what do, we, what do you think uh, Tom? I could talk about this for a long time and dominate and I don't, I don't want to do that I want to, I want to let Jordan have his say as well but what I will say is this so it's really interesting I don't think I've ever seen Watford do an interview like that in written or audio or video format whatever it may be I thought it was really interesting and it speaks for the predicament that Andre Gray finds himself in I thought it was interesting that Richard Walker was the one to do it I, you know I certainly you know and I've declare my uh, sort of my vested interest here that I know Kevin Affleck and I've worked for Kevin Affleck previously and he's certainly not someone to to duck a question you know he will hold people to account he's I think he's a very good interviewer so I thought it was interesting that it was Richard Walk who does it who as you said sort of head of media and and supporter communications I think is his title these days so you know quite rare that he's the one that that does these things in fact I, I can't think of a single one in recent times that I've I've heard his voice on so I think that in itself was quite telling. I also thought it was quite interesting that right towards the end, one of the questions was essentially, what's your message to the supporters now? But the, the kind of preamble to that was, you know, the, the transfer window's closed. We're doing it. The, the first opportunity at the transfer window's closed. You know, we know you're going to be here for the rest of the season, you know, even if there may be. And it was sort of a very sort of slight inference that maybe, maybe he could have gone. And I just thought I thought that was interesting as well. Um, overall, though, it's you know it's a tap in from the club, and he's skied it as usual, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> which is a bit harsh and a bit of a cheap shot. But you know, as I say, they don't do this for everyone. If they did this for every player that was out of form, that's all that the club would be putting out, I think, at the moment, isn't it? Across mm. their kind of uh, across their kind of channels. But you know, I think it was a. Uh, good idea a, a fairly well-conceived idea and for whatever reason he has failed to take it i'm sorry uh, uh, you know a, a sincere and well-meaning and genuine apology would mm. have gone a lot further than 22 minutes of 
you know, which was what we got of of Andre Gray. I think. Um, I think what we were what we were hoping for was really regretful Andre Gray saying, "I'm sorry," and yeah. um, I can't believe I did it twice. I I need to buck up my ideas. But we, what we kind of got was somebody just putting out excuses for, That's and, and, he, and he, he didn't look and, really like he. Nah. He was that bothered, and I maybe maybe, maybe I'm reading it really, really wrong here. But um, and and you know, everyone has different approaches and and looks different, and and you know, sometimes pe- the most apologetic people don't look that way. And and you know, if that is the case, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry that I'm reading it he, he wrong. He said, here, he said, I don't want to make excuses. This is I promise. This is the last thing I say, and then sort of over to Jordan. He said, I don't want to make excuses. But then when he was talking about the lockdown, he goes, Oh, you know, it's a surprise birthday party. People came over, and then people <laughs> invited people. It's like literally an excuse. Literally an yeah. excuse. Right. I'm done. I'm shutting up. I'm passing. Oh, one one question though for you, Tom. In those situations, in them sort of interviews, based on your experience, did the players, would the players have the questions before they're asked them? I must admit, I've never been privy to one like that because when I was at Barnet, yeah. all the players were impeccably behaved because they feared my authority. No, they didn't. Um, <laughs> but um, I, sus- I would be stunned if there wasn't some degree of, you know, uh, cohesion uh, kind of working between the club and the player in that instance to, you know, at least establish what the kind of line of questioning was going to be. He He would have, you know, he wouldn't have come into that cold, certainly not. Yeah, because, I mean... I, it's it's difficult. I find it ironic that the the beginning of the conversation they discussed how it's not going to be one of them traditional interviews where you get lack of substance from the answers and it's just kind of going for the motions. But now I felt the answers were very much, very much you know, the cliched kind of football like football answers. You know, I'm going to hold my hands up and you know blah blah. blah. Like it's all very simplistic. There's no real answer. You didn't feel like you actually. You didn't feel like you're any closer to understanding the person at all. There was no, there was no personality to the interview, yeah. it was, it, and that that makes it feel insincere. And you know, also, look, it's easy to criticise. I'm not sure how I would do if I was giving an apology on camera to football fans, right? It's kind of a strange situation, but it, it didn't come across. I don't say genuine. There was just no, there was just no real substance. Um, and as you say, Tom says about not having excuses and then proceeds to, to try and make an excuse. And I also don't really feel like the argument of I have no excuse is a great argument either because you'd rather just hear genuine answer. I'd rather hear him say, look, I wanted to have some friends over. I misread the situation. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have done. And I made a mistake. But instead you get the whole kind of, you know, I just made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it twice. It was stupid to do it again. And it just didn't really get us any closer to, to really understanding what's going on, um, especially if the idea is to, to to put Gray in a better light. I think it's kind of a strange decision to interview him if he didn't feel like he was going to do something that did do that. Because um, again, it just puts him in a spot of more criticism. I, I do have sympathy. I do have sympathy for a struggling athlete I think it's such a complex situation and there's so many factors that go into play and all of this situation doesn't help him at all overcome that and I'm sure we've had plenty of players that have been in similar situations and even the likes of Oli Nogalo who struggled he had, a, he had a real you know difficult period of form I think he always had the support as a person because people appreciated him as a person and Gray hasn't presented himself in a way that kind of allows that sympathy which I mean, it might be it might be harsh. It, I, I don't think we should judge him solely as a person, but we have seen things from him, and that the lockdown stuff it does indicate that there are some issues there that, that makes it hard for people for fans to connect with him on that level. Um, I, I don't think the interview helped particularly, and it's it's disappointing because, as you say, he was set up for a tap, and it just doesn't doesn't put it away because it, it just didn't do what it was meant to mm. um that's just how i feel about it, it it's a real shame I, I want to like the bloke and I, I want him to do you just don't want to see your player in that situation it's awkward to watch it's kind of uncomfortable to watch um but i just didn't i didn't get any feel of, of uh i didn't get any change of opinion from it and the club even said they said that, that right at the start of the interview, didn't it? This isn't going to be one of those usual interviews where what was it with, with no sub? What, what was what was the wording? But it was it was basically avoiding them cliches. Yes. Wasn't it? But that's the thing that I'm not sure. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I don't. I mean, I really get annoyed when I watch those interviews. I'm like, this is an interview about nothing. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I'm Why not, are they you... even bothering? I'm not learning yeah. anything here. It's just him saying, and that's the thing. you know, I'm here, oh, I'm pleased to be here, I'm going to make sure I try and do well. Well, you know, but at least this interview, you know, was a bit more, you know, probing and, and asking some real questions. Um, but don't you, don't you feel like, don't you feel like that situation, you'd want it to come from the player saying he wants to make an apology? That felt yes. like a media, yes. it felt like a, it felt like a media Absolutely. obligation still. Like yeah, it still felt right. like Andre Gray looked at his schedule and oh, got media at three, you know, head down there. And they said to him, okay, this is going to be an opportunity for you. And he's mm. kind of said, okay, yeah, all right. And then they've like sat down and gone. For, it's not, it doesn't feel like Andre Gray has come led, forward. It needs to be player doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. needs to be player and, needs, and I don't even necessarily think he owes an apology to well, us. No, as I, well, I mean, I don't think he opposed uh, an apology to fans. He owes a, a, an apology to the public, really. Just, he does, but I don't think the public care about Andre Gray apart from the fans, though. And... That's and, I'm not, and that's not critical of Andre Gray. I'm, it's just he's not that figure, is he? He's 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 a he's a Watford. Fi- no one watches that interview. Is not a Watford fan, really. It's I know what you're saying, Matt, but I just feel like if it's discussing form, I don't need an apology. Like, I, oh I no, no. Need- I, th- I think people no. were wanting the apology more for the lockdown breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Rather, I mean, I think people were very willing to forgive that. You know, sometimes football players go through periods of poor form and. You know, that is what it is. I mean, I'm not going to apologise if I'm not doing very well at work because it, I'm going to try my best to try. And, but sometimes things just don't work out. But if I break rules and laws, then I think I should apologise. I mean, maybe not to everyone in the entire world because I don't think they would genuinely that care that much. But if I was a, a figure in, you know, in, in, in the light where, you know, like little kids are supposed to be looking up to me, then I definitely would make sure that I, I apologise and make sure people, you know, know it's heartfelt and it's it's you know coming from the right place. That's precise. That's precisely it, though. Is that's that's what I mean. That that is how you'd feel. But I didn't get the impression that that's how Andre Gray was seeing it. I, di- I didn't feel like. I feel like if you're in that situation and you're aware of that and you're considering them things, that's what I mean. I feel like you're the one to come forward with that idea. And I'm not just saying it has to be the idea of the person who had the interview, but I feel like unless you know there's going to be something of substance said in that interview, unless you're sure of that, I don't see the point of going ahead with the interview. Unless you know beforehand that you're going to get something meaningful out of it, it just seems like another, and I actually don't. I really don't like talking negatively about players and people like this at all. I just, it's not, it's not enjoyable. It's not no, kind of really what we not. do. But it is. But when when it comes out like this, and it's a club led thing, it's something that has to be commented on because it's relevant. But um, it it just, I just feel like we just kind of missed missed the tone of what we maybe we're trying to go for, what the club is trying to go for. And I just. It's a shame. I, I feel like it just didn't really pan out how anyone expected. And al- also think, as well, you've got the, the Luther Bliss aspect, which is slightly odd too. Yeah. The thing I that was really interesting about it was that they kind of, they bundled the form aspect, the poor form aspect onto the apology. It's almost like the apology should have happened. You know, there should have been a more sincere, contrite apology at the time, be that on camera or just written kind of statement or whatever. But the fact that they bundled this on was almost like a case of, I think, you know, trying to, say look he is a good guy he's trying his hardest this is you know this is affecting him as well it's and i don't i don't believe that he's a bad guy for one second you know i'm sure he's a perfectly decent bloke he goes out and tries his hardest he runs around and works harder you know i don't for a second think he goes and thinks i'm just going to sack it off today and have an have an easy one blow about for 55 minutes and then get hooked and pick up my salary no problem you know i don't believe that strikers you know professional pride and then on top of that being a striker he knows full well he's judged on scoring goals he knows full well he's as he said himself won this division been the top scorer about in the past i'm sure after relegation he thought would you know what i'm gonna make a damn good go of it this year i'm gonna prove to everyone i am andre gray good striker and it's not happened for him for whatever reason what I really struggled with in all of it, though, was it, there was a point where he said, you know, I, I don't I don't really know what the fans want or something like that. And I thought, you know what? It, that's the problem. Lack of connection between player and supporters. It, we're not we're not complicated beings. We want one thing performances. And if you can't give us that, then you better not let us down off the field and bring our, drag our club through the mud as well. And he's he's failed to deliver on the field and more than once now has, you know, besmirched the club's name effectively off it as well. And it's a, a long way back from that. Yeah. And, and not even performances, Tom. We we want to see the 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 desire to try and perform. 
because sometimes you can you can have a shocker, but you you can see visibly that the player is trying really hard. You know. Yeah, and th- this this is a different situation, um, but I think it's a it was a, a similar a similar thing. I remember um, Fernando Forestieri's debut. Um, he he was quite energetic and he was making runs, but there's a few times where he kind of gave up. He kind of gave up on a, on, a, on a loose ball or he went down a bit easily and there was a kind of few groans around the pitch. And I remember seeing him looking around kind of a little bit confused. And the second half he came out and he, he chased down everything and he started getting cheers from the, from the side, from the side, from the side of the lines and the crowd and everything shifted in him. You could see, you literally could see that shift in him realizing, oh, this is what, this is what they want. And it, he never, he never changed that from his career. Like that moment was, pr- it was poignant in his career. It changed how he played for us. And it kind of never looked back. And I'm not saying Andre Gray needs to do that, but it's having that understanding of what the what the fans want. I don't think it's complicated at all, especially someone that's played through all the systems that Andre Gray has, all the all the um, sorry, all the tiers of football that Andre Gray has. Every footballer starts off as a fan to some capacity, um, especially ones that aren't in academy football. Some some players, generally players that treat it like a job, often are coming through academy setups. Andre Gray came from non-league. He's played at every single level effectively of football in, in England. He knows what fans want. So I think that, I think all, all we want is just to see effort and we can accept lack of ability at times as long as there's still a level of application and effort and desire to perform and help your team. And I think the frustration is form is really compounded by his off the field issues i don't think it's just a frustration on his ability also too there has to be said it's not just about his lack of performance i think there's also a massive element of frustration that comes from his repeated selection despite not playing well so he's kind of been put into that firing line also because he's not playing well and it's not clear whether it's poor form or if the player's actually just not up to the standard anymore good point um okay uh well we discussed that one in quite a bit of depth, didn't we? It's clearly, it's clearly a longer than the interview. Yeah. It's clearly a subject that's close to our hearts, isn't it? Um, we, we always want players to, you know, put in one hundred and ten percent. Okay, so um, well, we thought we were done with transfer business, to be to be quite honest. But uh, I mean, and there's been no official announcement here. But uh, it's been reported that Watford may have signed another left back, uh, another Moroccan left back, actually, no less, in Ashraf Lazar. Um, guys, how clear are we on whether this has actually happened or not? And, and what do we know about him? Yeah, I, I think it's been reported by some reliable sources, it seems seems like. So, yeah, I mean, it's a free agent deal that could happen pretty quickly. And, uh, I mean, he's a left back that's capable of playing a little bit further up too. 29 years old now, I believe. Really struggled to kind of get involved at, at Newcastle and was out on loan in Serie B last season. And, yeah, he's not really set the world alight. He's had some issues, had some injury issues, I believe. But he's someone that's, I guess, the club are looking at as a as capable cover um, on a pretty low risk, bring in and see how you do deal. Um, and then they could possibly extend if they wanted to. But I think it's just adding some some depth to a position that could become a problem. As we've seen in the last two games, we've had some injury issues and it was only the previous game that Masna wasn't available for and we had to switch a lot of things around. So I'm try- I think they're trying to get some insurance there. Tom, you've spent some time in the North East, haven't you? Uh, do you know this guy? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone, that, I don't think even Newcastle fans really know a lot about him, do they? <laughs> He's played, signed under Rafa, didn't he, when they were in the Championship, only played sort of four games that season and I think sort of 10 appearances for Newcastle in total. I must admit, I thought he'd already left St. James's Park long before uh, the last last few days his, his contract was paid up, wasn't it? So, as, as, as Jordan says, been kind of out on loan, hasn't gone anywhere and, and done, played a few games at Benevento, a few games on loan at Sheffield Wednesday and then spent a bit of last season on loan in Serie B. It doesn't paint a great picture, does it? And you just think, it's an opportunism signing, I think, isn't it? Rather than anything, because you know we've known about the the, the shortage at, at left back, left wing back, all season. You know, Vladimirovich was quite vocal about it. They didn't sign anyone in January, but because Lazar's been paid up and he's available, you know, they think well probably can do worse and bring him in. I've watched a little bit of him on Y Scout. Nothing sort of leaps out to me as being particularly brilliant or particularly awful. I don't know if if Jordan's had the opportunity to watch any more or, or has got any more sort of in-depth in uh, views to bring but I suspect he will be you know 
kind of kept in the wings until Messina's unfit or, or unavailable for any reason. I, d- I don't don't think he's going to be bought in to, to start week in, week out. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think, I think he's just insurance for if there was a potential injury to Massena and I don't think it's going to be so much of a fighting for a first team place. I think it is just that, that backup and it probably suits the player quite well. Um, it's you know not a great time to try and find a contract. So if you've got someone that's willing to bring you on, even if you know you could be pretty comfortably back up then that works for both parties really I think it's just uh, from what I've seen and just looking through just looking through his history really I'd I'd assume um, that it will be yeah a pretty comfortable backup situation more than bringing in competition to try and fight for that starting place Mm. they probably know each other quite well having both been part of the Moroccan setup yeah it's possible yeah I mean there's there's if if it's a comfortable move if, if there's if if they feel good about the player coming in and you know adapting quick enough and just being able to just get involved with the squad and and, and go from straight away, then they might as well they might as well do something in that area because it it's not just an issue of if you have a left back out then you're weaker. It's also weakening our right hand side and we're currently having to shift things over. Um, so it's it's affecting more than just that left back area area of the pitch. So if you can kind of help that out a little bit, then it's, it's a deal worth doing in my opinion. Also in the window, we allowed James Garner and, and Glenn Murray to leave and we've now had a chance to see them play for Forrest. And it was almost inevitable, wasn't it, guys? Garner's playing really well for them and, and Murray's already scored more goals than, than Andre Gray in one game. Um, I mean, I think they are better fits for the way that Forrest want to play uh, um, than the way that Watford were playing. So it's hard to point the finger at players that are playing well for a different team and saying, oh, well, we could have kept them, you know, they'd do the same for us. Uh, it's not necessarily the, the case, is it? No, I think also too with um, I haven't watched I haven't watched Forrest play since Garner's been starting, but um, or playing, sorry, but from what I've I've spoken to a couple of uh, Forrest guys that I know, and they kind of said that Garner's done okay, hasn't been amazing. He's done he's done okay so far. Um, Sound like some of the performances were kind of similar to some of the you know some of the more decent performances we saw from Garner. Um, I think some things can be skewed quite heavily when you've got um, official club accounts are putting up polls of who got man, who should be man the match, and you get the flood of United fans coming in and kind of skewing things a little <laughs> bit. Um, so it's easy to kind of get a little bit of a, a misconception there. But I mean, Glenn Murray, I think we, I'm pretty sure we discussed it on the previous podcast that something like this was bound to happen, and it's it's not just even based off um, based off the kind of classic, uh, uh, you know, you let him go and this happens. It's also because we feel like there's still a player in there that can contribute to some degree. And yeah, he did. So, I mean, I'm pleased for him because it sounds like he had a pretty, pretty awful time here in general. Yeah, Tom, what did you what did you think of it? Uh, frustrating, isn't it? Because Jordan explained quite nicely in the previous pod, you know, that he would quite like to have seen more of Glenn Murray, and I, I would have agreed as well. Because you know, to to disregard him completely just seemed to be cutting your nose off in spite of your face when you're other. You know, it's not like we had prime. Dini, Vidra, Forestieri and Agala up front was it? and this guy wasn't getting a look in he was you know he was cast aside very early all things considered and it just it just seemed wasteful so yeah a bit of a bit of a shame and I think with Garner do you know what I don't think he's a bad player I just think it probably became a bit symptomatic of uh, you know everything and the sort of general frustration uh, with supporters this season you know with the team and and, so, and our shortcomings and I thought in the early weeks he, he started pretty uh, pretty well for us and at times in the last couple of weeks perhaps when we have been struggling to progress the ball from midfield maybe he with his kind of passing range and what have you might have been an improvement I, you know might not have but yeah it's, it's always uh, a bit galling isn't it he played a beautiful ball with the outside of his foot Garner um, to the wing which which really impressed me and um, I saw quite a few um, compliments on, on Twitter from Nottingham Forest Fans, so I'm surprised to hear you say that uh, they thought he was just okay. But um, I suppose he hasn't played much for them yet, has he? So I mean, we'll have it. No, it's it's not even a criticism. I just mean, you know, I I think I think it's easy to for things to be a little bit overstated when when there can be the influence of United fans involved too. I I think he's just I think people I've spoken to are kind of being a little bit conservative with him because they know that he struggled with us at times. Um, so they feel like, you know, he's going to need minutes and I think it's a better place for him to go and play football because he's going to get more of an opportunity. And I think that's honestly what he needed. He, as Tom said, at the kind of beginning of his time here, he was, 
he was looking much better and I think he came in with a little bit more confidence I think that kind of started to be stripped away a little bit as as the system changed and he just wasn't really kind of seen as part of the plans which is difficult for a, a teenager that's loaned out to kind of play regular football so I, I think there's a good chance that he'll do pretty well and I think he'll have a have a decent rest of the season and you know he can reassess in the summer and it will end up not being a wasted year because it could have been if he'd stayed um at the club and at least at least with um with Ghana we ended that loan but we did bring in another midfielder in Gosling so we kind of had a one in one out situation I know we lost Kapu as well so that's an extra one out but um in, in terms of Murray it's a shame because we we lost an asset um for you know, we didn't have a replacement. Obviously, he wasn't involved in the team, so you weren't looking for a direct replacement. But we let a player go that could have been an asset, and it's it's a shame because he's he's been productive early on. I don't think he was on massively high wages, from what I understand. We weren't paying the full amount of his wages either, so it was a pretty low investment from the club, and we it's a shame we just couldn't really get more out of it, and it didn't work out better. Okay, uh, Bristol City up next. Uh, when we played them last, it finished nil-nil. To be honest, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it finishes nil-nil this time around too, given what we saw in the last fixture. But um, how do we uh, assess this one? What, what, what do we think uh, it's going to be like with uh, with Bristol City in the, in round two? I think you could be right. They're not they're not in great nick, are they? Lost four of their last six. Um, pretty wretched for kind of in, in the kind of attacking stakes second fewest number of shots attempted per 90 minutes their um their xg is right down there as well their goal scored is fairly sort of lower mid table you know they're not in in great confidence yet sort of clinging on uh you know sort of six points outside the playoffs if that gap gets any bigger you'd say it's gone for them this season so i think it's a game where both Teams need a result, but maybe are lacking the confidence and quality to uh, to actually get it. Yeah, I mean, we do. We we, we definitely do. It's a, it's a home game, so hopefully we have a little bit more, see a little bit more of a performance that we have done in previous home games. Um, it's it's one that we can't lose. I think if you do lose it, it's a, it's an incredibly busy week that week. I think we're playing Tuesday and Friday as well. Um, so if Chisco's still in charge then you kind of feel like that will be a defining three games um, it, I do I do fear playing losing teams especially when we are struggling ourselves you do kind of have that horrible feeling of uh, either a nil-nil or a similar kind of similar kind of result to the QPR game but I mean, it's a, it's a team that we should be looking to dominate. I think if if we're talking about Shishko making improvements and we're seeing improvements, I think the first step of that is to look at this game as an opportunity to shift our approach and be a little bit more, a little bit more dominant in certain areas. It's something I've mentioned before too. I do feel like I know there's questions about some of the personnel in the squad, but I do feel like we have the personnel that that can dominate portions of games. Um, against some teams in this league and I think we should be doing a better job of at least trying to do so and I think this is a good opportunity to start that now there's still some dangerous players in Bristol you can't underestimate them but we we should be looking to impose ourselves Okay, I'll end with one final question then guys for both of you Uh, lose the next game does Zisco remain in charge? I personally think if he if he's here for the Bristol game I think he has that through game stretch that's that's kind of that's kind of the feeling I'm getting. If he has, if if he has that three games and he's he's not accumulated the the, the number of points that the owners see fit, and I think he he'll go after that. Tom. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with Jordan. I think if we had this game and then a, a week between that and the next game, they might do it. But I think with three in such quick succession, particularly that Tuesday Friday, I think he will uh, he'll hang on regardless of what happens. But after. Those those three games, Bristol City, Preston and Derby, then I suspect there could be a change if we've not accumulated six points from that. Yeah. Lot. Six or seven, yeah. Was yeah. was there a similar was there a similar situation with Flores? It was the it was the opponents that was a thing, wasn't it? We had three games against kind of relegation Beatable candidates, feet. is that correct? Yeah. yeah, was it Southampton, Norwich and someone else and he went off yeah, Southampton, think- didn't he? Because he went, I remember, yeah, because I remember he won at Norwich and kind of That's being it. a bit, oh no, <laughs> this, might, <laughs> this might continue a bit longer than we'd hoped, yeah. No, I think that's correct, yeah. I was trying to think there was some correlation. That that does indicate that, you know, 
they they are aware that there are some some games and some spells of the season and fixture wise it's just not worth doing it beforehand I'll probably say that and they'll be sacked in 10 minutes but um, it wouldn't surprise me if they do look at it as a, as a situation of let's get through this three games um, and that, then we can make a proper a proper assessment and also to if they are looking at moving on from them they've still got to do their, their work outside of um, of Munoz and, and looking at a replacement because they, they do like to act quickly and there's a few things to line up um, even if they are planning to move on I think that's almost the biggest factor, isn't it? As you said earlier, Matt, is it a case of not having someone yet? You know, they won't make an they won't make a decision without having someone ready. Uh, you would have thought, would you? You know, they always act pretty quickly, don't they, in terms of their new appointments? So, if it happens, they'll have someone ready. Yeah, in general. One of the most worrying things for me with the with the Kike appointment when it when it happened was how reportedly early we were, we were in contact with him. We were supposedly in contact with him weeks before we appointed him and we appointed him the day we sacked Javi. So that was worrying because we must have been considering that after three games, four games. Like it was very early on that Javi left and we must have been kind of going down that route of getting in contact with him at that point, which is which was concerning to me. So it's possible we've already got someone lined up, but yeah, it, it's also possible we're still trying to get that kind of ironed out especially during everything that's going on and you're also looking in the middle of a season at what managers are even available right now it took a while for us to bring Pearson in though didn't it I think. yeah it did take a while I, I think oh that's true yes I'm not sure if I look, I mean I know I know they approach their coaches the same as they do their players they're always kind of looking at other options um, should this situation arise especially when you are Obviously, you've got more of a tendency to move on from coaches. You have to you have to behave like that. You have to look at, at succession and, and who could possibly come in. I think with Pearson, it was difficult because they probably they even even themselves probably didn't expect to have to sack Flores. Um, they probably were pretty confident they'd stay with him for the rest of the season. So they maybe weren't quite as prepared. Um, and they also gave a bit more of an interview process for that one, didn't they? Mm. Okay, then, guys, uh, good stuff. We'll be back to chat more in a week's time after that Bristol City game. Until then, my thanks to both Jordan and Tom. You can find them at Jordan Weimer and at TB Burdell. But until next week then, it's bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.